Many people today, even among those who call themselves Christians, believe that there are many roads to God. Last year, last year a video was posted onto Facebook uh, of a pastor of a 10,000 member Baptist megachurch in New York. In this video, he told his church that the idea that anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is going to hell is insanity. This is what he actually said. There was a time when you would see people in the pulpit say, well, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. That's insanity in many ways. Because that's not what even Jesus believes. The year before, it was a pastor of a five and a half thousand member Presbyterian church in the States again, who in an an interview, she said that she too didn't believe that Jesus was the only way to God because, as she put it, God isn't a Christian. And when asked what she thought about hell, she said she doesn't think that the God she knows from the Bible will be sending anyone there. That's a relief, eh? And surveys show that these leaders are not the only ones who hold on to that view. For example, a survey a few years ago said that just over half of American Christians think that at least some non-Christian faiths can lead to eternal life. So you don't need to be a Christian to go to heaven. You might be a Buddhist or a Hindu or a, or a Muslim or whatever. Then in a survey from the Barna Group just two years ago, again, just over half of those questioned believe that if a person is generally good, if they do enough good for other people, then surely they will earn a place in heaven. And in this age of tolerance and post-modernism and post-truth, then this all sounds so good. So caring, so considerate, so acceptable. But there's a problem. And the problem is it isn't true. This is not what Jesus taught. His gospel was an exclusive gospel. And we're going to read this amazing passage in John chapter 3. Very well-known passage for many of us, I'm sure. Uh, And we're going to just see how Jesus explained his gospel. And hopefully all of us will accept that what Jesus said is true, even if it doesn't fit with what we think should be true. So John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, 
No one can enter the kingdom of, heaven, of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the man who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it might be plainly seen that what he has done has been done by God. Now I think most people would describe Nicodemus as a good man. He was a a deeply religious man. A Jew, descendant of Abraham, circumcised according to the Mosaic law, and a man of the Pharisees. That meant he belonged to the group within the, the Jewish community who were passionately committed to following God's law. Even to the level of tithing their spices. Giving a tenth of their spices to God. He was also a responsible man. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was part of that 70 strong Sanhedrin who were responsible for religious decisions, but also under the Romans for civil rule. So it was a responsible position. He was also a well-read man. Later on, in verse 10, Jesus said to him, You are Israel's teacher. Nicodemus was a highly regarded teacher of the Scriptures, possibly one of the most prominent theologians of his day. And then lastly, he was a rational man. When he came to Jesus, he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. Unlike other Pharisees, Nicodemus was not blinded by jealousy. 
So instead, he saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, and then he rightly concluded that these authenticated Jesus as a teacher sent from God. So Nicodemus was a good man. But the shocking thing for Nicodemus was that according to Jesus, that wasn't good enough. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The kingdom of God is about is the coming of God's rule and reign in people's lives and on this earth. It's about God coming into our lives and us coming into the, the presence of God and, the, and the, the, the protection of God and the, and the blessing of God. And as a devout Jew, Nicodemus would have been longing for God's kingdom to come. But he would also be expecting to be part of it. Surely if anybody would be accepted into God's kingdom, into God's presence, then he would be. And yet, Jesus said that he wasn't. None of his religious commitment, nor his responsible position, nor his reading and studying the scriptures, not even his respect for Jesus as a God-ordained teacher. None of that was enough to bring him into God's kingdom. Nicodemus was a good man, but he wasn't good enough. As Paul says in Romans, the reason for that is because all have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. And so in order for Nicodemus to become part of God's kingdom, he had to be born again. That's the verse, verse 7 uh, of chapter 3. This guy here, Frank Hogan. Anybody remember seeing Frank Hogan from Limerick? Holding up the John 3, 7 signs at the GEA matches? He's retired now. He doesn't feel able to do that anymore just because of age. But the message that he presented at all these games is still true. You must be born again. In order to be part of God's kingdom, in order to be accepted into God's family, in order to have eternal life, it's not good enough to be born into a Christian family. It's not good enough to come to church. It's not good enough to be a good person. It's not good enough to be respected in our, in our society. It's not good enough to be nice. And, and it's not good enough to read the Bible. It's not good enough for any of those things. It's not even good enough to think that Jesus is a great guy. We need to be born again. Or what it can be translated, maybe some of the Bibles that you have, it says, born from above. The phrase can either use born again as in another birth, or born from above as in born from heaven. We need to have a new birth, a radical new beginning in our life. And this new beginning comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus said, verse 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. 
Water and the Spirit. What, is, what does that mean? Well, there's some debate about what that actually means. Some people say, well, that means you have to be baptised as well as trust in Jesus. Now, we know that's not what the Bible says. Okay. The Bible is very clear that in order to be right with God, we just simply need faith in Him. Remember the thief on the cross? Who, who was dying at the, the, the left-hand side of, of Jesus, or beside Jesus? Uh, he said, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. No time for baptism, no time for anything, no time for turning over a new leaf. Just faith in Christ. And we'll see in this passage that this is what's required. Faith, not a religious ceremony. But there are two other views that's possible with this water and spirit birth. Either Jesus is saying that we need a natural birth, born of, born of water, and we also need a spiritual birth, born of the Spirit. Okay, so many people think that's what it's about. Or some people think that Jesus is pointing to the dual aspect, the two aspects of this new birth. That's a cleansing that's symbolized by water, and it's the regeneration, the new life that comes from the Holy Spirit. And this is actually what Ezekiel chapter 36 points to. This is one of the prophecies in the Old Testament before Jesus. So Ezekiel says this, or from the Lord says this. The Lord says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So there's a new birth, a new birth cleanses us completely from our sin, washes us clean in God's sight and also makes us new in God's sight, giving us a new nature, new desires, new power, new ability that comes from God to live for him. And Paul in Titus chapter 3 and 5, he says something similar. He says this, he saved us not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Washing away our sins and giving us a brand new life through Christ. So this is the essential experience that each one of us need to have if we want to be part of God's family. It doesn't matter how good we think we are or how how sincere we hold to our religious beliefs or how much good we do for others. If we want to be united with God, if we want to have a relationship with God, then we must be born again. But even although this was promised in the Old Testament, Nicodemus really struggled to understand all of this. He's there scratching his head. Initially he thought Jesus was talking about some kind of physical rebirth, which doesn't make sense, of course, and I'm sure you mums are quite glad about this. 
But then he simply asked, how can this be? How can this be? doesn't make sense. Well, to help him, first of all, Jesus gave him an illustration. By referring to something that Nicodemus could understand and could grasp, that would help him to understand what he was saying. So verse 8. Jesus said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind blows. There's a little play in words here that doesn't come out in the English at all. Okay, That's because the word for wind, the Greek word, the word that's written in the original Bible, the Greek word for wind is pneuma. And the word for spirit, guess, is pneuma. So it's the same word here. So Jesus is trying to use words that try to capture Nicodemus' mind and understanding. And he's saying that our experience of wind in our lives in a natural world is similar in some way to the experience of the Holy Spirit in our life. So we cannot see the wind. And even with all of the advances in meteorology, we cannot fully predict where the wind is going to blow and when, how it's going to blow and how strong it's going to blow. And we certainly cannot control it. And yet, if you stand outside on a stormy day, you can feel its power. And you can see its impact. And in a similar way, the work of the Holy Spirit in new birth is invisible. And it's beyond our control or beyond our knowledge. We can't direct it. We can't fully explain it. And yet, if you experience it, you can feel its power and you can see its impact in your life. So even if we cannot explain the new birth, we can accept the reality of it. Because we can either experience it in our own lives or we can see it in the impact of others in their lives. We can see that something's changed in them. But you know, sometimes even that isn't enough. Sometimes we're still left with thinking, I just don't get this. And so when Nicodemus continued to struggle with this, Jesus simply challenged him to believe to trust in his words. Look at verse 11. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. Nicodemus was struggling to understand what Jesus was talking about because it was outside of his experience. It was outside of his knowledge. But Jesus claimed that these spiritual, these heavenly realities were not hidden or mysterious to him. Why was that? It's because Jesus had seen it for himself. That's because Jesus isn't confined, wasn't confined to earth all the time. Jesus came from heaven. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who's, who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So, although all of this may have been outside of the experience and knowledge of Nicodemus, if he could just accept 
that Jesus was actually from heaven, then he could take Jesus at his word and experience that new birth for himself. He may not fully understand it, he may not be able to explain it, but if he knew who Jesus was, then he could say, well, Jesus, because you've said it, I'm going to believe it. And that's a crucial aspect to understand, I think, for us today. So many people say they cannot accept the gospel because they do not fully understand it. But God is the awesome creator of this world. And so we shouldn't be surprised if some of the ways that he works in this world are beyond our understanding. In fact, Paul in Romans 11 said this. He said, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. I'm not so eloquent as, as Paul is. I would just say, it blows your mind. God's truth blows your mind. And you can never get to the end of it. You can never get fully to, the, to, the, to, uh, to fully understand it. It will always be, in a sense, beyond our comprehension. But that doesn't mean that we need to miss out on this new birth. That doesn't mean that we say, well, I can't accept this gift because I don't fully get this. I don't fully understand this. We don't need to do that. Because if we look at the evidence of who Jesus is, presented in the Gospels, like John is doing here, we can conclude, I know that Jesus is the Son of God. So whatever he says, it's true. And whatever he offers, I want in my life. I've told you before, I've told you a couple of weeks ago, that I, I became a follower of Jesus. I was born again when I was just four, four and a half, nearly five years old. I wasn't some child genius. I was just an ordinary little boy who sat in church and listened and realized who Jesus was. And I knew that I'd, I'd messed up. My big brothers told me a lot, lots and lots and lots how many times I'd messed up. So I knew that I was a sinner. And I knew I needed to be forgiven. So I accepted this gift. And it happened right there and then. And I didn't understand it all then. And I don't understand it all now. But I knew who Jesus was. And I knew that he was offering something great and I wanted it. And you can receive it as well today. So the key question is not whether we understand all of this. It's whether we are willing to believe in who Jesus is. And are we willing to trust in him, accept what he says, and accept him into our lives. And that's what Jesus went on to reveal to Nicodemus. He emphasized the uniqueness of the identity and the mission of Jesus. And showed that he's the only one and, sa- one and only saviour of the world. Look at verse 14, please. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This goes back to uh, way back in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel, they were, they were in the desert, Travelling for 40 years in the desert. And they rebelled against God at this point in time. And in judgment God sent poisonous snakes into the camp. And many of the people died. 
But when the people repented of their sin, and they prayed for help to God, God told Moses to lift up a bronze snake on a pole. So that anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. They didn't need to do anything. They didn't need to earn anything. They didn't need to pay money. They didn't need to promise anything. All they needed to do was look at the snake on the pole and live. The look of faith would lead to healing. And in a similar way, Jesus, the Son of Man, would be lifted up, not on a pole, but on a cross, to pay for our rebellion against Him. And everybody who looked to Jesus in faith would be healed, would be forgiven, would be brought into His kingdom. And in verse 16, Jesus said what is probably the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because of the measurable depth of God's love for us. The Father sent Jesus, his one and only Son, to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to rise again in a victorious resurrection. And he did all that so that through that simple faith in him, we would not be punished for our sins. We would not die and be lost to God forever. But instead we would be given the gift of eternal life. A new birth. A new beginning in God's family. Forgiveness of all of our sins. And be brought fully into God's family forever. And so this is why the Bible is absolutely clear that there's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be saved because there's only one Saviour. Only Jesus is the Saviour. Only He was lifted up on the cross. Only He, as the one and only Son of God, could take upon Himself our sins and pay the price of our salvation. As Peter and John said to the, to the Sanhedrin, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There's no other way. And so if we put our faith in Jesus, if we trust in Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives, then we can be sure that we are saved. Verse 18, Jesus said, Whoever believes in him is not condemned that's not a maybe that's not a perhaps that's not a hope I hope so that's a certainty John repeated this truth again in his letter that he wrote 1, 1 John chapter 5 I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life so you can rejoice that you're going to heaven that you'll never be lost this is not something that we've earned this is not something that we've worked for this is not something we deserve this is simply a gift from God bought with the precious blood of God 
so that it may be plainly seen that what has been done has been done through God. So our salvation is such a gift from God, paid for with the precious blood of Jesus, that we don't stand here and say, hey, look at me, I'm going to heaven, I'm an I great. Not at all. We stand here and say, we're going to heaven. Isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he great? Isn't his grace wonderful? Such a wonderful, good news. And yet so many people just don't want it. They don't want to accept this gift. Jesus talked about one of the reasons why in this passage, verse 19. He said, light has come into the the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Jesus is the light of the world. He came to bring them the light of His holiness and His revelation and His truth and His salvation. And yet so many people run away from it. So many people run from His light. They would rather stay in the darkness of their own ignorance and their own idolatry. And Jesus said it's because they are afraid that their deeds will be exposed. They don't want to come into the light because then they'll actually see the depth of their sin. And they'd rather hide from that truth. They'd rather reject Jesus rather than face up to the uncomfortable reality of their sinfulness. But look at the consequences of this, verse 18. But whoever does not believe, whoever does not believe in Jesus, stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This isn't why Jesus came. He says this in this passage. Jesus did not come to condemn sinners. He didn't come to send people to hell. He said he came to be their saviour. But if we reject him, if we say no to him, or if we just keep on putting it off again and again and again, then we're still in our sins. We're still guilty before God. And no matter how good we are, we will be condemned. It's a deeply uncomfortable, upsetting Reality for, but we need to accept this because this is the truth. The gospel that Jesus taught us is an exclusive gospel. There's one way. A guy called Tim Keller he said this it's the most inclusive, exclusive truth in the world. Jesus said there's one essential experience. To be in God's kingdom, we must be born again. There's one revealer of truth. Whatever anybody else says, we need to listen to Jesus. There's one Savior. One person who paid for all of our sins by dying on the cross. And there's one way to be saved. Through simple faith in Him. 
just simply trusting in him. So if we reject Jesus, there is no other way. We are excluded from God's kingdom forever. But if we accept him, if we come as we are to Christ and accept him into our lives, then it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter what we have done or haven't done in our lives. It doesn't matter how much mess we've created in our life or how much hurt we've experienced. If we come to Jesus, we are washed clean. We are born again by the Spirit. We are adopted into God's family and nothing and no one can ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we need to come through Christ. But if we do come through Christ, we can be absolutely sure will be accepted. Did you, did you see what John 3.16 says at the end of it? It's God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That whoever includes every single one of us here and every single one of us of those outside as well. Whoever comes to Christ will be saved. Have you come? Have you come that one way to Christ? Can you rejoice today that you are born again into God's family? And if not, then why not today? Why not just come as you are and accept this gift through faith in Christ so that you can be sure that you will not perish, but you have 